0: All right, thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, 32 through 41. So Mark 14, 32 through 41. And I wanna say happy Palm Sunday. If you're joining us here in person, you'll see it on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, it'll be on your screen at home. This is God's word. And they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And taking your rest, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then turn to Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. Father God, we just want to give you worship. We just want to come before you. We just want to sing our praises to you, but we also want to now open our hearts to you and receive your word. So Holy Spirit, please speak. Please give us faith, even faith, Father, is a gift from you. Help us to believe and receive the things that you want us to hear. So Lord God, thank you so much. Be with those who are here in person, those online, and prepare us, Lord God, as we look ahead to Easter. Thank you that, Lord Jesus, 2,000 years ago, you made that resolve to enter Jerusalem to lay down your life. And very soon, in a week, we're going to remember that and celebrate that and Declare that, Lord, and hopefully invite our friends to hear. So Lord God, we thank you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, praise the Lord. We're still looking at the spiritual disciplines in the life of a disciple. And what are spiritual disciplines? Well, there are activities in the Christian life. We're talking about things like prayer, being in the word, solitude, giving. We didn't look at all of those. We only looked at some of them. But these are activities that we regularly and habitually do, not to change ourselves, not to earn God's blessings, but rather we do them to put ourselves in the path of God's grace or under the waterfall of God's grace. So we've been listening to this, we're hearing this every week now for the last few weeks, should be familiar by now. And I like the way one author calls these disciplines, but they are habits of grace, habits of grace. I really like that. Because the grace in Habits of Grace, that points to what? God's role in the spiritual disciplines. Because it's his grace that changes us. It's his grace that makes us more like Christ. But I also like the habit part of it, in the Habits of Grace. Because that points to what? Our role. It points to the things that we must do regularly and habitually. We actually need to do things in the Christian life, amen? We must train ourselves to come before God in order to be changed by his grace. So again, we're not changing ourselves. We're not earning anything. We're not trying to manipulate God to be blessed. We are merely disciplining ourselves to come before God daily in order to receive his grace. And so the apostle of grace, Paul, clearly emphasized both of these things, God's role and our role. And as Protestant Christians, we readily see his teachings on God's grace When it comes to spiritual growth, we always like to point out God's grace, we see God's grace, but we oftentimes don't see our role in spiritual growth. And yet Paul talks about it, he talks about both. So listen to Paul, he said in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Okay, that's a verse that we don't often talk about. But Paul said, train yourself. Have you guys ever done anything athletic, right? Played on a sports team, gone to the gym. Maybe you decided to run a 5K run for a good cause. What do you have to do? You got to train yourself. We're talking about the same kind of language here. He was drawing from the athletic world in the Greek world. He was drawing from the Olympics in the Greek world. But train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, we all understand that, but godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul's clear. There are things you must do, even under God's grace. He also said in Philippians 4:9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Very similar to train yourself. Practice. How many of you guys ever had to practice the piano? Or maybe you're on the tennis team, you have to practice your serve or your golf swing. I mean, practice in the same way you must practice your walk with God. Practice the spiritual disciplines. And then the God of peace will be with you. What a great promise. So right there you see both, both our role and God's role. It couldn't be clearer. But Paul, the apostle of grace, always emphasized both. Is it God's grace? Is it 100% God? Absolutely. Absolutely. But is it also 100% you? Absolutely. You must give your all. And yet, the victory belongs to the Lord. He's the one who does it. He brings the victory, and yet we are involved all the way. And so these are things we've been talking about. And anything less than that is just magical thinking. This kind of thinking where if I'm just around Christians all the time, if I go to church as regularly as possible, if I'm kind of involved in Christian activity, then somehow... In some way, Jesus will rub off on me. That is magical thinking because that's not how people become like Christ. And that is not how you begin to live like Christ because when you think about all the things Jesus did, he lived an incredible life, amen? He changed the world in three years, but he lived in humility, service to others, in self-denial. He lived courageously speaking the truth, even to the point of people wanting to kill him. He took up his cross, He glorified God. And none of those Christ-centered or Christ-like qualities will grow in your life by just being around Christians and doing Christian things. And here's why. It's because Christians who have that kind of magical thinking, they are only trying to do what Jesus did on the spot in critical moments when it counts while ignoring the rest of his life, his overall approach to life. And so I've been giving this example for many weeks now, but it's kind of like guys on the basketball court, they're trying to play like Kobe or LeBron or fill in the blank, your favorite superstar. But they're trying to do that on the spot, in the game, in the critical moment, and yet they're ignoring their overall way of life, of these athletes and all the training and all the things that go into playing like them. And so what is that? That's just magical thinking. And it never works. And yet, please hear this, and yet millions of Christians, that's exactly how they approach the Christian life. Okay, I'm afraid to say this, but that's probably how the majority of us approach the Christian life. Okay, just somehow, if I just keep coming out to Promise Church and just kind of hear, you know, Roy's sermons and sit through them and just kind of occasionally go to CG, then somehow, right, I'm going to get changed. Jesus will rub off on me. And that will never happen, brothers and sisters, because you must train yourself You must put into practice the things that you see in scripture. You must adopt Jesus' overall way of life. And so what is that? Those are the spiritual disciplines. By God's grace, we do them. We put ourselves in front of God's grace. He changes us, but we must do them. So that's the context for spiritual disciplines. That's the importance of spiritual disciplines for disciples. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at some key spiritual disciplines. We looked at the habit of prayer. We also looked at the habit of being in the word, like reading, memorizing, meditating on the word. And today I want to finish by looking at a third spiritual discipline, the habit of fellowship, the habit of fellowship. Now, of course, there are many more spiritual disciplines than these three. But when I look at all the spiritual disciplines, these three are really the vital ones for starting out in your growth in Christ. It really begins with these three. These are the most foundational three, I believe. If you don't have prayer in your life, regular reading of the word, and you are not in fellowship in the community of other believers, then you have no chance. There is no growth. But these are the three. This is where it really begins. So today we're going to look at the habit of fellowship. The fellowship with other believers. So now when you look at Mark 14, when you turn there, this passage is not directly talking about fellowship, so I'll just be honest right up front, it's really about Jesus' agony before going to the cross and his utter submission to the Father's will. So this is a very famous story. But in the background of Jesus' darkest moment, in the background of this pivotal time, was what? The fellowship of Jesus' disciples. It was right there. So that's right there in the background. And in fact, Jesus called for it. He called for this fellowship And you could say it was because he even needed it. Jesus needed the fellowship. And yet the fellowship was not what Jesus envisioned it to be yet. And so as you read through that passage, if you were to read it again, you'll see that the disciples, they weren't able to provide the encouragement and support that Jesus needed. In fact, three times Jesus went back to them to try to get them to do what he needed them to do, but they, they couldn't do it. They were too weak in their flesh. So Jesus envisioned this certain kind of fellowship, and yet they couldn't follow. They couldn't actually come through. And yet Jesus' obedience, him going to the cross, would infuse these disciples with a whole new power to actually be in fellowship together afterwards. And so we'll see that. So from this passage, what we see is we see the origin of this fellowship, where it came from. We see the need of fellowship, and then finally the power, the power of this fellowship. And so first, the origin of fellowship, the origin of fellowship. So fellowship, it comes from the Greek word koinonia. Many of you guys might have heard that word before. And in the New Testament, this single Greek word is translated into many English words. And unfortunately, they change it. They they use many different words, so you don't realize it's koinonia every time. But it's always koinonia. But in the New Testament, you'll see words like fellowship. That's koinonia. You'll see the word sharing. That's koinonia. You'll see the word contribution like when the Macedonians contributed money to the Jerusalem church, that's koinonia. Participation, that's koinonia. It's all koinonia. So all of these English words in the New Testament, they come from that single Greek word, koinonia. And whenever koinonia is used in the New Testament, is always emphasizing this one thing. Okay, please don't miss this. What believers have in common with one another is always the emphasis of what we have in common with one another. So even though all these different English words come from the same word koinonia, it's always talking about the same thing, what we have in common. There is something we all share in, in common. There is something that we all contribute to, in common. And there is something that we all participate in, common. And guess what that thing is? It's Christ, amen? It is Christ and the work of Christ. So right away, we see how fellowship goes way beyond church super bowl parties and going hiking with christian friends oftentimes that's what we think of when we hear fellowship but this goes way beyond that this is talking about the deep bond we have in common in christ a bond that draws different people of all different backgrounds together so that we can accomplish the purposes of god together i will say that again that is fellowship it is the deep common bond we have with one another because of christ it draws all different people of different backgrounds so that we can accomplish God's purposes together. Okay, that's fellowship. You know, J.R. Tolkien, he had the right idea when he called his odd band of heroes the Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, that's the title of his first novel in the Lord of the Rings series. But he had the right idea, the Fellowship of the Ring, because that fellowship was made up of what? A couple humans, an elf, a dwarf, a wizard, some hobbits, and they couldn't be more different, and you could see that. Even as they were getting to know each other, they were kind of butting heads, there was a lot of conflict, and yet they were all united through a single bond and a single purpose. They all knew deep inside of them that they had to somehow destroy this ring of power. And because of that bond, what happened? They journeyed together. They helped one another. They served one another. They fought for one another. And in the end, they came to deeply care for one another. It's a great story. If you haven't read it or watched the movie, go do it. But that's the fellowship. So do you see that? That's so much deeper and more profound and life-changing than just hanging out with Christian friends, getting lunch on Sunday or watching a movie together. I mean, yes, that could be a part of fellowship. But do you see that profound bond that people have because of Christ? I like how David Mathis, he's the one who wrote the book Habits of Grace. I like how he defines it. True fellowship is less like friends gathered to watch the Super Bowl, he said that, and more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears huddled in the backfield only in preparation for the next down. True fellowship in this age is more the invading troops side by side on the beaches at Normandy than it is the gleeful revelers in the street on VE Day. VE Day is Victory in Europe Day. Right? It's much more the soldiers on the beach fighting in the war together. It's much more the players on the field than the spectators in the stand or the people like cheering in the parade. Okay, that's fellowship. And so now when you turn to Mark 14, you can see why I'm using this passage to illustrate fellowship, right? Because this is what we see. This is what Jesus was calling for, true fellowship. Okay, he wasn't calling his disciples to come with him to a dinner party. I mean, he did that a few times or several times in the past. And that can be one expression of fellowship. But here, Jesus was doing what? He was calling for a deeper fellowship, a truer fellowship. He was calling them to come and pray with him during the darkest moment in his life as he entered the valley of death. that's fellowship. I want to emphasize that. That's fellowship, brothers and sisters. Mark 14, 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took with him Peter, James, and John, the closest of his disciples, so that they could be right beside him to watch him pray. that's fellowship. And so Jesus called them into true fellowship. He was also calling you. He's calling you into true fellowship with other believers. Amen. That's exactly what he's calling you guys into, is true fellowship, that kind of fellowship. But Jesus does more than just call you into fellowship, but he created the fellowship. He creates the community of fellowship. And we see that from the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus knew that he was here not only to save individuals so that you would know Jesus and go to heaven one day. It was far more than that. But he came here to create a fellowship of believers, a true fellowship of disciples. In Mark 3, 16, after Jesus, it says, Jesus then went up to the mountain and appointed the 12. And then in the next verses, you see all the names of the 12 disciples. And we've already looked at this. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. But that word appoint in the Greek is what? Made. Sometimes I wish these translators would actually just use the Greek word. But it literally says made in the Greek. Jesus made the 12. He didn't just pick 12 people like you, 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 you. He made this fellowship. He created it. And so making this fellowship was no small thing. He was intentional. He prayed all night, but far more than that, ultimately he would lay down his life to create this fellowship. This is how important the fellowship of believers was to Jesus. Because you have to understand this. Yeah, I'm not talking about something that happened a long time ago. I'm talking about this right here, the fellowship here and the people who belong here who aren't here today. But the fellowship of believers, even right here, this is how important it is to God. So the fellowship of believers directly comes from Christ. It comes from his calling. It comes from his death on the cross, his outpouring of the spirit after he resurrected. It comes from himself, his very presence in the midst the bond that he gives, that unites believers together, it comes from Christ. So in other words, the fellowship we have with one another is a gift. It's a gift paid by Christ's own blood. So this is the fellowship, brothers and sisters. Okay, where are you going to find something like this? Anywhere in the world. You won't. And you will never find anything like this on your own. Okay, it is a gift that must be received from God. You cannot find this. You can't build it. We can't program it. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. You can only receive it. You can only receive this kind of fellowship. As we all come to faith in Christ, and then we come together in Christ. It's the only way. You know, I like the analogy of a tuning fork, but I actually used to play cello when I was really little. I played it for a few years. It's still somewhere in my house. I know, very strange, right? (laughs) But uh, I used to try playing but I remember I had to go and sit through an entire symphony orchestra with my teacher. It was the most torturous thing in the world. I was like in third grade. My mom paid for it. I didn't even know why I was there and I was just watching this thing and yet it was kind of cool to see how things were but they had this tuning fork and the conductor would hit the tuning fork and then before the symphony began all the instruments would do what? Begin to tune their instruments or all the musicians would tune their instruments to that tuning fork. And then as they became in tune with that, they became in tune with one another. And then they could play beautiful music together. And so that analogy is not perfect, but Christ is like that tuning fork. As we come to faith in him, as we're in tune with him, we become in tune with one another. And then we could do beautiful things together. Amen? So I want you to see how passionate God is for this fellowship of believers. God is so passionate. Can we just kind of think of church as, oh, I should go to church today. I don't know, I don't have time. Should I go? I don't know, right? Maybe if I have time. And it's just kind of low on the priority. Even if it's high on the priority, sometimes we don't have the passion for it. But God is passionate. The Bible uses numerous names to describe the fellowship of believers. It says a chosen race. Did you know that you, you're a new ethnicity now? You're the Christian ethnicity. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. These are all just terms, expressions describing this fellowship. Now, these won't be on the screen, but there are also numerous passages where you see God's passion for the fellowship coming through. But Exodus 7, 6 7, God said, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of from the burden of the Egyptians. There it says, God says, I literally brought you out of slavery from Egypt so that you would be in this fellowship with me and with one another. Leviticus 26 11, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Do you see that? Jeremiah 24, seven, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. See, God is saying, I want this fellowship with you and I want it for you guys amongst one another. He's saying it is for this fellowship. 2 Corinthians six sixteen. for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So that is God's heart. He is passionate for this fellowship of believers, this community, okay, this unity that we have here. It just shines through the entire Bible. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't have that same heart. Okay, do you have that heart? Okay, when you think about the fellowship of believers, is that what happens? You get passionate. You get excited. You know, During the pandemic, Barna did a survey to see how many self-identified Christians in the U.S., stopped going to church, and this is what they found. But about 22% of churchgoers stopped attending church during the pandemic. And 19% of practicing Christians, so these aren't just churchgoers, these are people who say they read the Bible all the time, faith is real to them, they actually do spiritual disciplines. 19% of these people stopped going to church. And here's the saddest news of all, those numbers haven't changed. It's still 19%, about one-fifth of all practicing believers and churchgoers don't go to church anymore. Maybe they'll catch an online service here and there. And so where's your heart for the fellowship? And yet when you look at God in his heart, he's passionate. He paid the highest price, not just to save individuals, but to give us community, the fellowship of believers. And why? Okay, why is God so focused on this? Because we need it. And this brings us to the next point. We need it. Look at Mark 14, verse 33. It says, And Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So here, this is very unexpected. In the life of Jesus, this is a very unexpected moment, especially in Mark's gospel. And the reason why is because in Mark's gospel, Jesus is very um, just powerful on the move. He's always in control. Even demons and disease and nature obey his commands. He is the son of God in Mark's gospel. He is the divine one on a rescue mission. And yet suddenly, perhaps for the first time, we see this unexpected moment of weakness and fear. So everything kind of comes a halt here where Jesus now is suddenly weak? He's afraid? And of course, Jesus was about to face the wrath of God upon the cross, and so who wouldn't be afraid? And here, Jesus was in deep need. So perhaps for the first time in Mark's gospel, Jesus was in deep need. And it's amazing that Jesus, as fully God and fully man, in his time of greatest need, He not only called upon God the Father, he did do that, he prayed. Father, Father. But in addition to that, he also did what? He called his disciples to be with him and to watch with him and pray for him. So to me, that just blows my mind that he, in his time of greatest need, actually needed the fellowship. He needed the fellowship of believers. And so if Jesus needed that, what about us? Okay, what about you? And if you are unclear about the importance of community and fellowship with other believers, then let me make it clear for you. You will not make it spiritually or in your life without it. Okay, that's as simple as I can make it. You will not make it in life and especially spiritually in your walk with God without it. Absolutely not. Give okay, church is a low priority, fellowshipping with other believers in that, in that true fellowship sense, if that is not important to you, then I will tell you right now, you will not make it. You will be one of those numbers that no longer follow Christ, no longer go to church, and you're just not there anymore. You will not make it because we need one another. You know, one of my favorite scenes in the movie Pilgrim's Progress, the elementary school kids actually went through that story as their lesson last year, and then they capped it off by having this movie night at our house. We watched it together. But one of my favorite scenes in that movie is one of those scenes that people kind of don't notice, but I notice (laughs) because I love that scene. But it's not when he was fighting the dragon or, you know, when the the sack of sin fell off. But my favorite scene is when after he went through all of that, he actually entered this castle and these believers welcomed him in one by one. They greeted him, they greeted Christian, they brought him in and then they sat in a circle and then he began to share all his struggles and began to commune with them. And you know what that was? That was the church. And I love that scene. That's the picture of the church. It's only because Christian found other believers and he entered into that fellowship with believers that he was able to continue on. And so for you, if you do not prioritize community and the fellowship of believers, you will not make it. Okay, as simple as that, you will not make it because you are not taking advantage of this grace, this grace God has given you. And here's why you will not make it and here's why it's so important. You are created for it. God created you for community and fellowship because you were created in God's image and God himself has existed in community for all eternity since eternity passed. And so once God created you in his image, you were also created for community. And this is why the vast majority of people want to get married, even though the odds for divorce is really high, about 50%. I mean, what else in your life do you jump into with those kinds of odds? 50-50 chance of failure, count me in, right? Like what else in life? And yet everybody or a lot of people, most people want to get married. Why is that? Because we're wired for that kind of intimacy and fellowship with other people. And even those who don't want to get married, they reorganize their entire lives in order to be with friends and family. They will literally quit their jobs and move to a new city in order to be with people that they love and to have this kind of even secular fellowship. So community is a basic need, as basic as food and water. And this is why the most effective way to break a POW's will to live, this was a study that was done on American prisoners of war, but the most effective way to break a prisoner's will was not starvation. It was not keeping water and depriving them of sleep. It wasn't even torture. But the single greatest way to break a prisoner's will was solitary confinement was to isolate them and cut them off from fellowship with other soldiers. Because this study found that soldiers were sustained primarily not by their love for their country, not by even their belief in the cause, but they were sustained through their friendships and the fellowship they had with other soldiers. Okay, it was just so clear. That was the single greatest reason why they endured anything. Why? Because God created us for community then what's the problem? Okay, why, why is it so hard then? Why, why do people jump from church to church to church? Why, why does it matter so little oftentimes even in our lives? Okay, why, why is it such a low priority even for us oftentimes? Well, the reason why is because we live in a fractured world, fractured by sin. And so community itself has become fractured. Even that desire, that innate desire within us to long for community, to be in community, has been fractured. And so we increasingly live alone in the presence of others, and that perfectly describes our culture today. We are surrounded by people, and yet we are utterly alone. We live lonely lives in the presence of others. Now, on the one hand, our culture celebrates the heroic loner, right? We celebrate people like that, the Sigma wolf, I hunt alone, right? We idolize figures like Jason Bourne, my wife loves that movie. <laughs> it's one of her favorite movie series. But Jason Bourne, Batman, we idolize figures. like that. I like that movie too, anyway. But this comes from our hyper-individualistic culture we live in. So we, on one hand, idolize all these things. Okay, we want to be alone. And yet, in the midst of that, there's an epidemic of loneliness. Among all generations, okay, whether you're old, whether you're young, there is this growing loneliness spreading throughout our society. You know, I heard that there's this growing trend in modern society of elderly people. They die alone in their apartments. Have you heard of that? It really is bad in places like Japan, but even here in America, elderly people die alone. And it's a growing trend. And even after they pass, for weeks on end, nobody even knows that they're gone until somebody smells their rotting bodies. You know, I'm sorry for saying that, if you knew somebody like that. But until they just smell something wrong, and then they find out, oh my gosh, somebody passed away. But it's not only the elderly, but the fastest fastest growing household in big cities among young people is a household of one. That's the fastest growing household, a household of one. In other words, people living all alone, doing life all alone. Young people are feeling lonely as well. They download apps where they randomly get paired with other app users just so that they can just meet up and get dinner together because they don't have anyone else. So there are apps that literally do this for people. I actually saw an entire documentary on this by Vox. It's on YouTube. But what is this? All of this is loneliness, whether it's intentional or unintentional. But all of it is an expression of that fracturing, of that innate ability, that desire we all have for community, for that fellowship, but it's been fractured. And this is why God probably said in Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. See, God knows that could be a bad habit. Why? Because that image of God, we've been created for community, has been fractured. So we can get into these habits of neglecting to be in fellowship, neglecting to come out, neglecting to be with other believers. So God says, do not neglect to meet one another, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near." So God's solution to persevere through all the challenges of life and faith as Jesus' return draws near is what? We just read it. What's God's solution for you to face all the challenges in your life? One another. He says that's the solution. Okay, That's why. Don't neglect it. Don't get into that bad habit of not coming out to things, not being in true fellowship, because that is the only way you're going to make it. And without it, you will not make it. You will not make it. Christian thinkers and philosophers agree. One of the heaviest burdens in life is facing life's major decisions mostly alone. I remember reading that several times, randomly, in different books. But one of the heaviest burdens in life is facing life's major decisions alone. And throughout history, people never needed to do that. They always had a community, they always had fellowship with other people, whether it was their parents, their extended family, their church. They always had people to bear these burdens with them, and yet not today, not in our society. And a lot of people say this could be, this is very likely why there's been a sharp rise in therapy. Did you know therapy is a modern invention? In the past, no one ever got therapy. They didn't need it. I mean, they struggled. I mean, they had to deal with things. But there was always a community to bear the burden with them, and yet in this day and age, everyone needs therapy. And again, I'm not putting anyone down for getting therapy. Yeah, I know good, godly Christians who actually have been helped by that. Absolutely. So if that is something God is leading you to do, then do it. But, but I'm just simply pointing out the fact that there's been a sharp rise where in the past, a lot of these things were taken care of by merely being in fellowship. So could it be that Christians today in society at large, we've completely ignored what God has said in Hebrews 10. Don't neglect The meeting together, don't neglect the fellowship. Don't get into that habit of not meeting together. And so we have forgotten that and and instead we've placed the responsibility of making all these life decisions and bearing all the burdens of life on ourselves. That is what's going on. And so then who do you have to help you through all these things? Who do you have to bear the pressure with you, to carry the weight with you? Well, when I look at Jesus, again, amazingly, Jesus himself said, I need you. I need the fellowship. Peter, James, John, come with me. I'm about to go to the cross. I know what I'm about to face. I need you guys to come with me. I need you to watch and pray with me. So who do you have to watch and pray with you when life grows dark? Again, I just can't emphasize this enough. If you don't have people, you will not make it. I know that sounds very dark, but that's just everywhere. I see the evidence everywhere. You will not make it in your spiritual life. You will not make it in your life. Why? Because it only comes from the fellowship. Again, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I would even add in there the bad habit of some. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is God's solution. And if neglecting to meet together is a bad habit or a habit, then so can meeting together. That can be a habit too. Amen? Okay, that can be a good habit. You can form that. Okay, that's the spiritual discipline we're talking about. The discipline of fellowship. You know, recently I met with a couple talking about certain habits that they should lay early on in their married life. We were talking about some good, you know, decisions that they need to make. And we talked about not having to make the same decision over and over and over again every time something comes up. So for example, tithing, you know, you know, financial decisions. But we talked about not having to make the same decision again and again. Just decide once and then set things and it's done. And I would include fellowshipping with believers in the same category. You don't need to make that decision over and over and over again. The same decision every week. Why? Every Sunday morning, you don't have to wake up going, oh, am I going to go to church? Why why make that decision over and over and over again? It's the same decision, right? Every time Thursday rolls around or or Saturday for CG, you don't have to make that same decision over and over and over again. I say make it once and be done with it. I've made that decision 10 years ago. I actually did. You know, I don't say this in any kind of bragging way, but I don't think I've ever missed a Sunday of church, ever, for 20-plus years, I just made that decision a long time ago and I've just always gone. Even when I'm away, I just find a church wherever I'm vacationing somewhere else. I'm just always at church. Why? Because I just made that decision. I made it once and it's just, it's just held all these years. I always just go to church on Sunday. Again, I mean, it doesn't mean anything in terms of like earning points before God. I'm just saying, it's just one decision and you just keep it. It's the same thing with fellowshipping with believers. You just make it once and you just keep it. I just always go to Sunday. I always go to CG. I always participate in fellowship. I'm in the community. And of course, if there are certain things that come up, then you can't go. But it's a single decision you've made. And it's not only a decision you make, but when you show up, you don't just show up, but you do what? The goal is to connect. This is the true fellowship we're talking about. When Jesus said, Peter, James, John, come, please come with me. In my darkest moment, he's not just saying, oh yeah, I just want you around me. But he wanted something. He, he wanted them to connect with him. He said, watch and pray with me. And so when you fellowship with other believers, you need to connect with one another. Okay, that's the goal. Yes, make that decision. Make it once. Go. But don't just sit there. I mean, that's good. It's better than not being there. But connect with one another. You know, many years ago, I read this book by Larry Crabb. He's a Christian psychologist. He's a professional, trained. He has a PhD. He's done, you know, counseling for decades. But I read this book, and it was called Connecting, and it was very interesting. Because he said, after decades of counseling Christians in the church as a professional, he's a psychiatrist, he said, you know what I've come to realize? The vast majority of issues in people's lives can be healed and taken care of by simply connecting. Just believers connecting with one another. It just gets dealt with. And what he meant by connecting is the life of Christ in you is passed on to the other person. Okay, whatever is in you that Jesus has placed in you, you just pass it on to the other person. And whatever is in them is passed on to you. And so this happens through things like prayer, praying for one another. Again, Jesus said, come, watch and pray with me. Encouraging one another. I mean, I think we know, right? Encouraging, sharing scripture to one another, listening to one another, becoming vulnerable to each other, confessing your sins to one another. This is true fellowship. This is how we connect. And according to Crabb, he said the vast majority, I don't want to put a number, but I think he might've said 90%, I don't know. It was a very high number. He said the vast majority of the issues in your life are going to be dealt with just by connecting. You're in the fellowship, amen? You're in the fellowship. It's got to become a habit. Again, is it all grace? Absolutely. But do you need to work hard at it? Absolutely. You need to become committed, make your decision once and keep it, amen? So connecting in the fellowship. So this is the need we have. And then finally, we're going to close with the power, the power of the fellowship. Look at Mark 14, 41. Jesus, after having Peter, James, and John there, and they failed actually to watch and pray. He finally says, He finally said, Arise, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And from that point on, Jesus walked into The most terrible, I I can't even imagine, but the most terrible moment of his life, which is experiencing God's wrath upon the cross. And so, in that darkest moment, what we notice here is there was a certain kind of fellowship before the cross, and then a different, radically different kind of fellowship after the cross. And so, before the cross, what we see is a band of disciples, they're all united in Christ, and yet there was something that was very lacking, right? They were weak, they were weak in their flesh. And it says in Mark chapter 14 that three times Jesus had to come back to them and say, hey, wake up. Are you asleep? Watch and pray. Then he came back, wake up, watch and pray. Then he came back, wake up, watch and pray. And some Bible scholars say that that could have foreshadowed Peter's denial of denying Christ three times. So in some ways, they were kind of denying Christ already. It was a foreshadow of them denying Christ. So all that to say is this fellowship was not good. It was not very strong. They were very weak in their flesh. couldn't fulfill the purpose of that fellowship. And so all of that was happening before Jesus went to the cross. And then Jesus says right here, the hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then he went to the cross and he endured God's wrath. And then he gave up his life. And then three days later rose from the dead. And then you know what you see? And then after he ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit, you see a radically different fellowship. But in Acts 241 through 47, okay, this is what we see now. So remember, remember the picture of the fellowship before the cross. These disciples sleeping, they were weak, three times denying Christ. And then now in Acts 241, those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship What is that? That's a radically different kind of fellowship. So that's amazing that in such a short amount of time, I mean, this isn't years later, this is just a a few months later, you go from a sleepy band of disciples, I mean, sure, they were there for Jesus. They were trying to pray and watch, and yet they denied him three times. But then fast forward a few months, and now you see this radically new, vibrant, passionate, spirit-filled fellowship. It has been radically changed by the gospel, by the outpouring of the Spirit. And so what am I trying to point out as we close? This is the same power you have, amen? Same power I have. So if you're sitting here and you're like, you know what, I know, I know what you're saying. Church should be a high priority, but it's kind of not. And it's, it's hard, right? Fellowshipping with believers, it could be kind of difficult. I don't even get along with everyone when I come out. And I can understand a lot of that. And yet look at the power. Right, look at the power that is in the gospel, the power that is in Christ to form true fellowship. So just quickly, let me just mention, but it was a power that radically changed our relationships. See, before the gospel and before Christ died and rose again, the early Christians, they got their identity and status from many different sources, right? They were farmers, they were scholars, some were rich, some were poor, Some were Greek, some were Jew. They were coming from all different backgrounds. And yet, after the gospel, they were now all shaped by a single identity. So that's the first thing. That's the power of the gospel. You are given a new ethne. You have a new ethnicity, literally. It goes underneath your physical ethnicity. You're a Christian, you're in Christ. Not only that, but the gospel also leveled the ground for everyone. And we talk about this a lot. But it made everyone equal in Christ. Paul said in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, radically different, brand new, revolutionary in the ancient world. Even today. What today could say that? Nothing. Only in Christ. Not only that, the gospel completely removes self-interest, which is embedded in the human nature. Everything is about me and what I'm getting, what I'm not getting, and the gospel obliterated, removed all of that. Through the gospel, relationships were no longer needed based on what they could do for you. You don't enter a relationship based on, oh, what what can you do for me? And if you can do things for me, even interesting conversation, right? The bar is kind (laughs) of low. Right? If you're just kind of interesting to hang out with, then hey, I'll hang out with you. I'll be your friend. But if you're not interesting, then, right? But no longer. It's no longer about what relationships can do for me. It's what can I do for you? Why? Because Jesus already meets all my needs. So when I show up to a fellowship, I'm not there to see what you can do for me. I'm there to see what, what can I do? I'm here. <laughs> How can I serve? Right? What can I do for you? What are your needs? Christ has already met all my needs. What can I do for you? And so this is what the gospel does. And then ultimately, the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection poured out a new reality of God's presence. And this is the most powerful of all. But you have God's presence now in community. And this is something the world does not have. They do not know this. Yes, they have community. Yes, they can even have close relationships. But they do not have God's presence bringing this community, God's presence upon their community. And yet, when Jesus died and rose again, this became reality. Now there is the outpouring of God's spirit upon our fellowship. And isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? That when we get together, there can even be the presence of God. You know, without going into detail, but last week, we actually had a community group at uh, someone's house. Uh, We have a Sunday community group. We met right after church and during the Bible study, as we were kind of sharing and having fellowship there, talking, I, I don't know what it was, but the presence of God, re, I, maybe I'm the only one. Some of you guys were there, you're like, I didn't feel. But I, I just sensed the presence of God in such a heavy way during our Bible study. I, I did. I even got a little emotional. It was really moving. I mean, I couldn't manufacture that. I mean, could I be like, hey, we're going to have the presence of God today in CG? It's, the believers just get together, and in faith, we begin to study the word in God's presence. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And so this is the power in our fellowship. So have you experienced that? Do you long for that? Okay, God does for you. I close with this, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, you know, Bonhoeffer is an amazing man, but he wrote on marriage, although he never got to marry because he was in a concentration camp. If you don't know who Bonhoeffer is, study his life, but he was a German Lutheran pastor one of the few courageous pastors during World War II, and God put it upon his heart to stand up against Hitler. all the other pastors, so many were cowards, they did not speak up. And I don't say that lightly because I might have been a coward as well. But Bonhoeffer stood up to Hitler and he got thrown into a concentration camp and he died there, he was executed there. But while he was in prison, he wrote a book called Life Together. All alone, in a concentration camp, isolated. Without community, he wrote the most beautiful book, one of the most beautiful books on community. It's called Life Together. And listen to what he says. But he says, the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile, sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. That's amazing. So what is Bonhoeffer saying? He's saying when believers get together, you are gonna see that tangible, physical sign of God's presence through one another. Amen? That's how you experience God. So the next time you don't know whether to come to church or go to CG or fellowship, with, I mean, I pray that this would be ringing in your ears. Amen? So let's just come before the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much. Father God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We worship you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us the fellowship. Not the fellowship of the ring. You gave us the fellowship of Christ. Infinitely better. The fellowship of Christ. With Christ and in Christ. With one another. So thank you so much, Father. Thank you for this fellowship. So many Christians today, they don't, they don't see. They just don't see. They're blind. The precious gift that it is. How absolutely essential it is. They don't see that you cannot make it. You simply will not make it in life without it. And that's why so many have fallen away. They have a profession of faith in Christ, but they don't have any community in Christ. They don't don't have any fellowship with any believers. They're all on their own. Father God, may we not be like that. May we have this habit, this habit of fellowship. Fellowship. May we love one another, pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, share our struggles with one another, bear the burdens of one another. We need the fellowship. So thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's just come before the Lord as we do every Sunday and just respond to God's word and, and then we're gonna take communion. Today is Communion Sunday. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do not neglect these gifts, these precious gifts that God has given you. Eternal life, yes. Going to heaven, yes. These are amazing, indescribable gifts. But don't neglect the gifts that are right in front of you. Yes, heaven will come one day, but but you have fellowship right now. You have community. You have other believers. God has gifted you, placed them in your life. Don't neglect that, brothers and sisters. Because you desperately need it. So let's just come before the Lord and let's just pray, God, please. If you've made fellowship and community with believers a very low priority, then confess that sin before God. That is a sin because God directly commanded us. Do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That's a command. Do not do it. So let's just come before the Lord. Let's confess that before the Lord. Let's ask him, God, help me. Help me to be in community, to be in fellowship with other believers. The true fellowship, not just watching movies together, that can happen, or eating dinner together, but true fellowship. Let's just come before the Lord. Thank you, Father God. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you that you came here and you lived as one of us and then you died upon the cross taking the full penalty of our sins upon your body and then you rose again from the dead and we're gonna celebrate that a week from now. Thank you for your glorious, glorious salvation. But Lord God, in addition to that, Lord, we don't wanna neglect the gifts that flow out of that salvation, such as community, Lord, the fellowship of believers. Ultimately, in the end, Lord, your salvation was so that we can be with you forever and ever and with one another. This isn't just a means to something else, this is the end. Made it so clear in scripture, Lord. I rescued you out of Egypt so that you would be my people in fellowship with one another and that I would be your God. I poured out my spirit upon you and placed my spirit in you. Why? So that you would be my people in fellowship with each other and I would be your God. All throughout scripture. I put a new heart in you, took out a heart of stone, put it in a heart of flesh. Why? So that you would be my people with one another in fellowship, and I would be your God. Lord, let us not neglect that. Christians who do, they, they are seriously, seriously misinformed. They do not know the Word of God. And in fact, they are in trouble and we need to be in prayer for them. We need to reach out to these people. God willing, we can reach out even for this Easter friend day. But Lord God, but for those of us here, Lord, all of us here at The Promise, I pray that we would not neglect it. It's the only way we're gonna make it. So Lord God, we thank you so much for your fellowship, for the community you've given to us. We wanna make that decision once. Yes, this is important in my life. And it will always be important. I don't have to make that decision again and again and again every week. I've made it. It's a high priority. It's important. It will always be important. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's just come before the Lord. Today is Communion Sunday. And so what we're gonna do now is take communion, but let's uh, take our packets and you can peel back top tab you'll see the cracker underneath and don't take it by yourself we'll take it together it says in god's word for i receive from the lord what i also deliver to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the breath together. Now let's take the bottom tab and pull it back. You'll see the juice. the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's take this cup together thank you lord jesus let's just come before the lord let's just thank the lord for his eternal gift his very own body, His blood, broken, shed for us. Let's just thank Him for the the salvation that He won. Let's thank Him for community again. Let's make these commitments afresh again, and then we're gonna close. Thank you, God. We just come before You, Father God. We thank. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you. We give you all the praise and all the worship. Thank you for being indescribably loving and sacrificial, humbling yourself and becoming one of us. And not only one of us, but becoming a servant. And not only a servant, but becoming as a condemned criminal nailed to a cross Although there was no sin in you, Lord, you became sin on our behalf. So Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you for your sacrifice and your death. Thank you for your resurrection and the eternal life that you now offer. Lord, this is what we want to base our lives on. This is what we wanna build our lives on. We wanna proclaim this to anyone and everyone all around us. And thank you also, Lord, for now bringing us into community. Lord, you say in your word, you set the lonely into families. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. And many of us here, we were lonely. We were spiritually lonely. We were actually lonely in our lives. And you placed us into a family, your family. And so now we have one another. So Lord God, let us not neglect that. Let us Prioritize that. Lord, until the day we go to heaven, Lord, this is where I belong. This is my tribe. This is my family. I am a believer. I am a disciple. And I'm always in the community of other disciples. This is my home. I pray that all of us could say that. So thank you, Father God. So Lord God, as we... Wrap up this little mini-series on spiritual disciplines. Lord, help us, Lord. Help us to now practice these things, to put them into practice, to actually do them by your grace. And you'll do the work. You'll change us. So we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's rise for final worship.